Greg McNeil, my next guest, is a person who suffered a loss that none of us should ever know from, the loss of a child. He lost his son back in 2015 to the heroin opioid crisis epidemic, and since then has founded Cover 2 Resources, a 501c3 in honor of his son's memory, and an organization that he uses to build awareness around this epidemic and find ways and programs in which the epidemic may be mitigated, resources for families, people that are affected, and uh, really, really found our hour-long conversation to be uh, insightful and uh, you know, somewhat emotional, of course, to, uh, to, to sit there with somebody who has had to go through such a painful loss in his life. So I want to thank Greg so very much for coming on, spending time, shedding light, and talking about his path, his family's path, how they dealt with this loss, and what they're doing now between their charity and their podcast and ways in which they are spreading awareness. Our 163rd episode. Really? Yeah. Wow. So, mm-hmm. and, and you started this how long ago? Well, we started it in June of 2016. Okay. That was our first podcast that we put out. So you guys did about, uh, what, like a one every few days almost? Yeah. I mean, do, on average. We do two a week. Okay. That's what we average. And what do you guys talk about? What um, is the focus? Well, the concept is it is the Cover 2 PPT series. That's people, places, and things making a difference in the opioid epidemic. So what we try and do is research and, and find unique things out there. Uh, unique people and opportunities to make a difference. Sure. And we highlight them. We put them on a pedestal. We talk all about it. And the whole goal behind this is to educate and also to make it approachable to other communities, all these different programs. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, when you look in the media, what do we hear about today? Day in and day out, we're hearing the negativity, you know, just all the horrible things associated with the opioid epidemic. It's it's it's. It's crazy. It's scary. Yeah. It's uh, you know, and there's a stigma. There's a there stigma is. tied to it. Yeah. And I assume that that's one of those things that you guys are trying to, you know, break away from that stigma and say, hey, there's there's real there's there's issues here involved. It's deeper than just somebody abusing a drug, yeah. right? Yeah. And there's stigma associated with it that is deep rooted because it's years and years ago was where that began, and and in essence, you know. A lot of your problems, uh, a lot of the the drug culture, if you will, back years ago, heroin, in my generation, for example, there was such social stigma associated and a huge social barrier. That didn't come in. That didn't come into play at all. When you heard the word heroin growing up, it was like a foreign word, an alien. You think of a big, long needle, right? I mean, right? These are the types of things. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, you have kind of the... um, you didn't have the education on where this came from. Mm-hmm. And it really, for us, for today, it's permeated all aspects of society. And over the course of the last 20 to 25 years, what's happened is you've had the opioid, um, you know, the strongest opioids, the strongest pain relievers known to man in the history of man came out in the mid-90s, mm-hmm. Oxycontin. And that was a game changer. And in essence, it's the same chemical uh, compound as heroin. So what happened was you had the pharmaceutical companies that said, you know what, this stuff is great. We need to aggressively treat pain. Pain hasn't been aggressively treated up to this point. Mm -hmm. So they convinced the doctors that all of this was non-addictive, that they could safely prescribe this stuff and not worry about it for their patients. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. And and so what happened was the doctors at the same time, their compensation was partially tied to how well they relieved pain. And this was also the same time that the happy face came in. Remember the happy faces? Yeah. Tell us about how you're doing and yeah. rate it on a scale of happy faces and they hold up that. You know. Wow. Yeah. And that's when that came in and that's tied partially to their compensation. No kidding. Yeah. And so you have this trend where the doctors thought, okay, this is safe to do this. Pharmaceutical companies said, hey, here's the latest and greatest. Let's go. And what happened was slowly but surely you saw doctors in the mid-90s that their patients came back to them after, you know, prescribing. One cycle. Yeah, one cycle. A couple cycles, right? Yeah, Yeah. yeah. And, And they looked at them and they realized, no, you're physically dependent on this. You're addicted. 
and they cut them off. Well, mm-hmm. when they cut them off, they'd go to the street. Which was completely, first off, contrary to what they had just were saying right prior to, that yep. these are not addicting, they, yeah. right? Yeah. And right off the bat, it was completely contradictory to that. Right. So, so they'd buy on the street. Yeah. And the pills, pretty expensive to buy on the street versus heroin. Uh, yeah, so they're, they would be spending somewhere in the neighborhood of sometimes 60 or $70 a pill versus getting hooked up with some heroin, 20 bucks, 10 bucks. Mm. So economically, it's much and cheaper. What, what kind of form was, is the heroin in? Same type of thing, or is it in different, different forms? The, the, the heroin that you're talking about for $10 or $20 a pop? Um, so I'm really not that conversant on that. I mean, okay. I read Sam Quinones' book, mm-hmm. and I've, I've seen, you know, plenty of uh, documentaries on it. But in terms of to intelligently talk about this version versus that gotcha. version, you know, gotcha. this, you know, black tar heroin versus the other stuff, right. French Connection stuff, I can't really, really do that. Are there, are there heroin, is, it, is, is there heroin in pill form? Because I'm not familiar with, I mean, is heroin pill form and other different types of form? Obviously, you could shoot it. You could yeah, so generally, it comes in a form whereby they put it in a little cooker, and they cook it up uh-huh. um, and so that they can draw it into their syringe, ah, and, then, and then go ahead and shoot it. And uh-huh. that's, that's the way that, you know, a- after they graduate, they get to the point where they're doing that. But they start off uh, by just snorting it as a powder. Snorting. Ah, yeah. okay. Right. So that's like the first Oftentimes. step, and then it gets more intense and gets more intense. It gets worse and worse, yeah. Hey, listen, thank you for being here, Greg. Um, like we were just talking before the show, I, I came across you uh, I came across you in an uh, article on Cleveland.com recently. Oh. Saw your name. And, you know, I started this podcast about a month and a half ago, seven weeks ago, to, uh, you know, talk to people, to hope to inspire people and spread messages, spread hope, spread awareness on different topics the optimal life. There's a whole host of things. There's no guess that's off limits, but just you know, great things that are going on in people's lives, not so great things that are going on in people's lives. You know, different areas where people can make a difference. You know, everyone can use a little, you know, pick me up or can relate to something that's going on in their lives or, or somebody else that they know. And uh, I just want to spread message. And I came across you. And um, I thought, gosh, I would love to hear your story. I would love to, you know, get into that because I looked you guys up, you know, the All-American family, the whole thing from what I've seen on you guys. And, uh, and of course, unfortunately, you lost your son two and a half, not even two and a half years ago to this, what we'll call the opioid epidemic. Um, I can't imagine. So if you would, can you tell, tell us a little bit about Sam? Yeah. So Sam was the youngest of three kids, and um, he was our athlete. He, he did it all. He particularly loved football. In fact, he was a defensive back on his team, and he was a big Browns fan, and, and uh, all in all, just about anything that he did athletically, he excelled at. But football was the, the key for him. Um, anyhow, he... Uh, um, you know, he partied in uh, in high school, and at times, yeah, it got a little bit out of hand, but it was nothing, you know, out of the ordinary, and we looked at it as, you know, it, it's a rite of passage, you know, I did I did some partying when I was in high school and college, and, sure, and so we all he's did. growing up. And he's you say we, up. you're talking your wife? Yeah. You and your wife, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Right. And uh, so, fast forward a little bit, after high school, in fact, um, this is 2007. Sam is uh, at a uh, at a New Year's Eve party, mm-hmm. and he ended up he was partying up pretty good, but um, he ended up uh, in a fight defending a young lady's honor, and um, he got beat up really really bad. In fact, uh, he wound up in the ER that evening, uh, and the surgeons, you know, they they had to put a three screws in his face, and so it was pretty bad. Um, but they gave him some serious uh, painkillers, Oxycontin, after that. And um, he probably is one of those people that was very susceptible to, um, you know, to, to pain pills and opioids in particular. 
And so ultimately what ended up happening was very quickly he became addicted mm. and he went back to uh, refill that prescription and the doctor noticed that uh, he, he wasn't going to give him any more. So Sam started buying on the street. This is So this is uh, early tw- 2008 at this point? This but would have been 2008. Couple right? months, and that, how many cycles did he, he took? Just one, like a normal 30-day cycle of pills, or do you remember? Yeah. Or is it hard yeah. to remember? Yeah. Uh, actually, I'm not really sure. Okay. Um, so, it um, uh, to the best of our knowledge, it was one, you know, one fill, but it could have been a couple of cycles. Okay. Don't know. Uh, but ultimately, he found himself um, addicted and wanting more and buying on the street. So at that, at 21 years of age, at that point, he really um, he couldn't afford that versus the you know the the cost of the pills on the street versus heroin. Big difference. Mm-hmm. Big difference. Mm-hmm. Now is he living at home? He was living at home. At the He's time. living at home. Yeah. And uh, and he, you know, so he was going to get the pills. The doctor stopped prescribing, mm-hmm. like you said. Yep. And then he's like you said before. What do you, where do these guys turn to when they can't get the pills, either because it's too expensive or they just can't get them? Mm-hmm. They go to the less expensive stuff, enter heroin, right? Yep. So what happens What happens then? So next he, he starts using it, and at first he just snorted. Okay. And Sam, throughout his life, he, um, he was deathly afraid of needles. Needles were something that he never – I mean, if he had to give blood – he that took a lot of coaxing as he was growing up sure so he was one that we never in a million years could imagine him using you know the needle but that's what happened he went to the needle ultimately so he uh so he starts by snorting now he's living at home do Mm -hmm. you guys notice i mean this is a few months after the the fight and he's into this you know pain cycle pain pill cycle do you guys notice changes, notice differences, personality-wise, anything like that? Or what's little, that like from a parent standpoint? Yeah, as a parent, when you're going through it, um, first of all, your, uh, your child changes before your very eyes. However, in front of you, they're the best actors in the world. Uh. Addicts can act so well, they can make you believe, they can play old tapes, and they can make you believe anything they want you to believe. Really? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And um, this, you know, this is my son. This is somebody I know inside and out. I know right, him. There's, right. there's no way he would ever lie to me. There's no way that he right. would ever cheat. There's no way that he would ever steal. There's no way that all of these things would ever happen. Guess is, what? Yeah. They happened. They were happening. Is he, was exactly. he in college at this point or uh, working? He took some classes, but uh-huh. for the most part he was working. Yes. Okay. So he's working from home. I'm just trying to get, get an understanding of – Mm-hmm. Of the picture, because mm-hmm. when you think of an addict, you think of somebody laying, you know, half naked in the street. And I know right. that that's not that's not what the case. Um, so your son is starting to use heroin, and, and and how long is he using heroin before you guys even know that he's using heroin? So a very long time. A long time. Absolutely. When you say he was an actor, that's what you meant. You would have had no clue. Oh no, not at all. It's so well hidden and. Um, so ultimately, fast forward to 2010. Okay. In in 2010, what happened was uh, my daughter was also living with us at the time, mm-hmm. and she happened to go down the basement. Um, it was September, in fact, of 2010. She went down the basement. Sam was down there, and he was passed out, and there was a needle nearby. Oh, man. That was oh, it. my God. That was the day we... We found out, and we 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 knew we we right away went into crisis. What kind of what is that? What is that like as a parent to go through that? Well, well, I mean, I mean, you're in complete disbelief. You you just you can't even wrap your head around that. That's just so um, gut wrenching, shocking. Um, you know your son inside and out, and there's no way in hell he would do that, and yet there it is. That's, I mean, you even, you even tell yourself, well, no, that couldn't be it. That's, you know, I'm, maybe I'm not putting this, you know, the, yeah. this picture together right. Yeah, you, like but you don't believe it. And yeah, you, yeah. yeah, you're in complete denial. But the fact of the matter is, yeah, that's, that was what was happening. And, and so, so you, you know, you, you try to, the best that you can, sort through things figure it out and begin to figure out, okay, what's the help that we need to get them? What do we need to do? And, you know, it's that point that 
you start to reflect on that body of knowledge that you just know, the common knowledge, through the media, right? So through the years, what happens? We've been exposed to this actor, this person in the media and the news and what have you. They have an issue and they go away and they get that taken care of. So yeah. we find the best you know, uh, rehab facility that we can, send them away to it, and then everything's going to be good. Mm-hmm. And he's going to come back and it'll be fine. So really what we did was we looked around. We found uh, a recovery facility right in Akron, sent him there, and he went away. And we thought, you know what? This is this is going to work. Mm-hmm. This is going to work. And he was involved in that for four months. And then he came back home. And then he was pretty good for about six months or so. He had learned the, uh, you know, the steps as far as recovery is concerned. And he was starting to build a network of people um, that, had, that were peers in recovery mm-hmm. uh, that I kind of refer to as a team. Mm-hmm. Um, but gradually that kind of uh, began to fade away. Mm-hmm. And then he finally he relapsed. Now, at that point, we thought, that's failure. Relapse is failure. Mm-hmm. We didn't know, you know. Now we know. It's part of the process. It's part of the process. Ninety percent of the people out there that are struggling with this and, and trying to get help, they're going to relapse. Back up if you would, too. Mm-hmm. So he was he was using heroin for approximately two and a half years before you guys discovered, give or take, two years plus, based upon, I think, the timeline that you said before. The Look best the, knowledge that we have. Right. Uh, yeah, maybe well, it was I, less. Maybe it was more somewhere things, in that, uh, maybe a couple of years, give or take, a year and a half, two yeah. years. Um, looking back, when you and your wife look back to analyze that, mm-hmm. were there signals, were there Things that were happening that you guys look back and say, oh, that's, we should have seen that. Or, you know, for parents that might be going through something similar right now, Mm -hmm. you know, are there, are there ways to tell what's going on? Sure. Absolutely. Um, So number one is being withdrawn, you know, not being as engaged with the family, with the events that we would do, showing up late for things, um, and, and really those would be some of the biggest. Well, now we know, of course, you know, uh, having the, the eyes and uh, it, there's telltale signs. Um, but a lot of the things we, we just didn't know. You wouldn't have you, no clue. So, so there's, there's potential that there's people out there doing the same thing right now. Obviously, there are. Mm-hmm. There's uh, young kids living with their parents, and their parents might have absolutely zero clue that their son or daughter is a addicted to either pain pills or worse could be addicted to heroin at this mm-hmm. point and they wouldn't there's really nothing that just he would come home he'd be working come home normal day play video games watch tv those kind of things nothing was different he'd play video games and everything and he would be pretty much as i say he would be kind of he would withdraw more he would just be more withdrawn right and a little bit moody at times depending uh-huh. upon when you caught him and i'm sure looking back it was when you caught him in the cycle uh you know. Now, how often how often would he use? Do you know? Don't know. Okay. Mm-mm. And is it different from what you know? Is it different for everybody? Some people every day, some people every week? Well, sure. It uh-huh. depends upon where you are on that downward slope okay. and downward spiral, I should call it. Mm-hmm. Um, so for if you're at the beginning of it and, and with some people, it depends upon how you got into it. Um, with some people that, like Sam, that have gone to the doctor, gotten addicted, and gone from from there, oftentimes what happens is it becomes a daily use cycle, and then it builds to multiple times per day, and you know it can be as much as six to ten times per day wow. that people go through this cycle. Wow. Yeah, and and so that's when it just it gets extreme, and that's all you know. Their brain has been hijacked in the process. Mm-hmm. So, and it takes very little time for that to happen on opioids, but the brain gets, um, you know, hijacked, and, and so their whole priority, every priority for them, is that's first and foremost. It goes ahead of anything else. Everything else is secondary. Yep, you name it. They mm-hmm. just need they need that that escape. Period. It. It's it's a uh, wow. That's yeah. that is so scary. Yeah. Your son was a, an athlete. Yep. Um, you know, social guy, mm-hmm. involved, family oriented, and. Uh, because of this un- unfortunate circumstance that happened on New Year's Eve or the, the night of the fight. 
So that's what we attribute it to in terms of getting hooked on the opioids. Mm -hmm. Looking back on it, again, you know, I looked at it as a rite of passage. Um, Did he probably uh, party and abuse alcohol too much in high school? Probably. Mm -hmm. And so if I had it to do all over again, would I play it entirely differently? Absolutely. Um, And one of the reasons is we're at such a different point in time in our history. Yeah. Um, these, These drugs that are out there today are more addicting than anything known to man, anything that has ever come up before. So you can't play old tapes. You cannot. Um, this rite of passage, um, that has to go away. And boy, I, uh, one of the things that I didn't realize at that time is the brain is really, it's still maturing until you're about the age 23 to 25. Wow. So as a result, what happens is anything, any substance that you use Mm -hmm. before that, it compromises it. And your odds of having a substance use disorder later on in life, they grow immeasurably because of that. They do. Mm -hmm. Three times more likely. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So, you know, if that you can get that message out of, you know, to the kids of, hey, you know, what do you want to do in life? Take a look at that. Let's take a look at, you know, what do you want your career to be? So your odds of, of really interrupting that a little bit, not getting to quite as high a of peak as uh, maybe you could otherwise, you you may be jeopardizing that by doing anything when you're young. And it's a tough message and it's a tough one to get out there. It is. Because the kids are, you know, they're indestructible. Yeah. They're going to live yeah. forever and there's nothing that's going to hurt them, yeah. nothing that's going to phase them. And, you know, looking at it from this side, oh boy, I, I, I just wish that there was some way to effectively deliver that, that message. And I wish I could go back in time, that's for sure. Because um, we'd... Uh, uh, um, we'd have that that shot. You said you would do things different. Can you elaborate if, going back? Yeah, well, I mean, just that. It would be, um, you know, that rite of passage kind of goes away, if you will. And in, in terms of the way that I look at that with, uh, with Sam, it's, um, it would be not as much independence and, you know, a just little more just strict, a little, yeah, a, a, more oversi- a, more. a little, lot more oversight, right. more involved. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. Um, what are some of the drugs that you, you refer to these these pain pillars? What what are some of the, the name brands that they're prescribing that ultimately are causing these problems? So you've got Oxycontin, you've got Vicodin, you've got there's there's a bunch of them that you know. Um, uh, gosh, in fact, the the list go it's pretty it's, extensive, it's exhaustive. Yeah. yeah. Um, tell us, okay, so he's he's obviously uh, you send him to Akron to the facility, mm-hmm. right? And uh, that you thought that was gonna fix everything yep. um, and he was on his way and, and like you said there's relapses involved mm-hmm. and uh, relapse is part of the process mm-hmm. really just that's the way it goes yep. you think you're looking at relapse parents look at relapses oh we're starting over again yeah and that's really not from what I'm hearing not necessarily the truth that's it's in fact it's not the truth it's uh, there's your phone yeah, sorry about that. Uh, no, it's all right. Um, the relapse is, is actually just part of the process where, what is it, most likely all the time they're going to go back and use again as they're going through recovery. Yeah, it's 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 part of recovery. Mm-hmm. And um, both, you know, oftentimes families, the for- support system will treat it as failure. And I, I should say most of the treatment facilities treat it in essence as failure because what happens is you'll have a lot of people that go through this process many, many times with many different treatment facilities. And each time they start with a brand new one, uh-huh. they start over, uh, start them from the bottom. Right. So imagine sure. you're climbing a mountain, right? You're climbing this mountain and you get maybe halfway up, right? You're, you're, you're rolling. And then you fall, you stumble, you fall, you fall down a few mm. feet. Imagine you you get with a different climbing crew, and they take you all the way back to the base. Right. Start over. Exactly. That's right. basically what That's happens. A good analogy. Yeah. So he's going through it. What happens? Uh, how long is he in Akron before coming back? So uh, so he was, he was in Akron for about four months, comes home with us, lives with us six months, and then um, slowly but surely starts to relapse and, lapse and things go, go wrong. Now this is around... What year at at this point? At this point, let's see. We are looking at uh, so we're into 2010, into 2011. 
So late in 2011, no, we must be in 2012. Actually, this is the fall of 2012. Fall of 2012. Mm -hmm. And he's going back down this path again. You guys are noticing it. You're Mm -hmm. recognizing it. Mm -hmm. Um, It's got to be tormenting. Uh, What about for the siblings, too, as they're going through this with you? To try to get through to their brother. What's that like, if you could shed some light on that? Well, uh, again, for the whole family, it's disbelief. It's disbelief, yeah. Can't can't even believe it. And, you know, we're we're thinking we were getting to a good place, and now it's all taken away. And and so, you know, once again, in our case, you you take a look around and, and you think about it, and you think, you know what? It didn't work here going locally. Let's send them out of state. Uh-huh. So we ended up looking and, and contemplating different places, and we sent him to Florida. Okay. To the Boca House, Boca Raton, Florida. One of the better-known better facilities for this type of treatment? Um, I don't know that it was better known. They looked really attractive on the Internet. Okay. Okay. Um, Florida is the recovery capital of the United States. Uh, more people go there for recovery than anywhere. Uh-huh. And because of that, you've also got more gaming and more uh, abuse than any place in the country. Wow. And so, um, you know, we've come to learn that there's a lot of uh, suspicious actors down there, bad actors down there that um, exploit people and do things like patient brokering. Um, where they, in essence, will give, you know, free plane flights down uh, and put people into treatment programs, and and what they're doing is getting a kickback on the insurance. Oh, my God, that's terrible. Yeah, yeah. So when you hear, oh, I get a scholarship, oh, this is free, no, they're being exploited. Yeah. There's always some economic incentive involved in this. It's crazy. Well, this is big business. Yeah, this is this. We've got we've got this the opioid epidemic, which is killing the equivalent of a 9/11 every single month. Every single think about that, every single month. How many thousands of people? A few thousand a month. Two thousand. Two thousand a month. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So um, it's devastating. Jeez Almighty. And and then on the other side, you've got a lot of people that still want to exploit the situation. So you've got patient brokering that happens. You also have, in Delray Beach in particular, a big problem with sober housing. There's no requirements, no licensing, no control over sober housing there. So they have, in just Delray Beach alone, over 600 known sober homes. Wow. Yeah. And so, uh, Again, you've you've got a lot of games going on with that, and and people that end up getting exploited. Uh, so you guys send him down. How long is he there for? So Sam goes down, um, and he goes through another program. In this particular case, he was in the program for uh, I want to say it was three months, and then after that, he went to recovery housing, sober housing, and he was there for another about three three months. I want to say. And then at that point, he moved out and was on his own. Okay. Now, was he staying in Florida or did he come back? No, Florida. He stayed in Florida. Yeah. So this is in like summer of 2013, you know, give or take, spring, summertime of 13. Uh, this is getting into 14 at Getting this into point. 14. Right. Okay. Um, what's that like while you guys are here in, in Ohio, he's down in Florida, and all you can do every night is just pray, right? I mean, yeah. what else can you possibly do as a parent at this point? Yeah. Um, it was, uh, it, it's not a good feeling uh, because, you know, what, what you've got is you've got his voice to go on and, and what he tells you. And, and really, we, we were down to see him, you know, as often as possible, but still, it's, it's not like having him down the street or just the next town over. Right, um, right, right, right. So, uh, so yeah, that was... Um, that was a little disconcerting, but ultimately we we felt as though he was he was doing the right thing, and he was in the at that time we felt like he was in the right place, and he was gonna he was gonna make it. And um, late uh, late that year, he ended up meeting someone and falling in love, and and uh, 
actually it was it was early in 2015 I believe so um, so anyhow Danasha and he met they fell in love moved in together and just things started to pick up and it looked like they were they were really it looked perfect like, it looked like this was like he was in the clear almost in you guys mind like wow this is really it definitely did yeah um, so he had a great job and what was he doing? He was a sales rep uh-huh. for a, a company that uh, that sells uh, in the aerospace industry. Oh, okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So uh, he – and he did great. He was their top salesperson, and they loved him. And he Great was, personality, he was outgoing guy. Yeah, yeah, he, was, yeah. he was coming back into his own the, – the, the Sam that you guys knew, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. So uh, this is 2015 early. Mm-hmm. Did he get engaged or was it just dating? No, they're dating, and then they moved in together. They moved in together. Yeah. Okay. Um, so things are going great, and mm-hmm. uh, and then what happens as the summer comes and the you know into the fall? So um, we get in. He comes back in the summer for his brother's wedding. Brother gets his older brother gets married in uh, on July eighteenth, twenty fifteen, and he's in the wedding. Um, and that that was just a, a great family occasion. Mm. Uh, we had a blast, and you know, it was looking like Sam had made it. It was looking like um, he was going to make it long term. Mm-hmm. Uh, looking back on it, um, you know, if I if I would have looked a little deeper, uh, I would have I would have known. It's um, now was he? Because when you say you would have known, was he using again at this point? Even when he was back at the wedding. At the time, I didn't think so, uh-huh. but I, I think he could have been dabbling. He might have been again. In, in retrospect. Uh-huh. Um, it, it's so scary because you don't really ever know. You don't. You know, you would – I I, I, have, I have very young children, so I've never mm-hmm. gone through this with myself. I've never been close to anybody that's gone through this. Mm-hmm. I've heard of people that I knew of, you know, from where I grew up. Mm-hmm. It's been a it's been a terrible epidemic everywhere. Um, I grew yeah. up in South Euclid Lynnhurst, which there was a lot of problems over there mm-hmm. over the last few years. Um, but you, uh, you you would think you know just you just think to yourself from not knowing from the ignorance that it'd be easy to tell. Oh, he's a user or he's an abuser and, or she is blah blah. But the what I'm hearing from you and what I from my research, you don't know. No, and that's the scary thing. No, you. You really don't. And, and uh, again, I, I go back and um, uh, you don't wish this on anybody because you go back and you reanalyze things over and over and over again. You think back through it and think back through it and, you know, was there something there? Wasn't there something there? And what could I have done? That type of thing. So, you know, um, everything else in Sam's life looked great right then. Wow. Everything. Wow. So you and your wife are celebrating, your, you know, your oldest mm-hmm. wedding. And uh, you guys are like, this is beautiful. Family's Finally, like this has been a long road. I mean, you're going on uh, what seven, eight years of long this long journey. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so the, the the wedding comes and goes, and that is, you go back to Florida, or is yeah. At this point, it was five years because, in in terms of, you're right. For Sam, he'd been going through it for seven or eight years. For us and ah, as a right. family, the crisis right. that was 2010 is when that hit. Mm-hmm. So Sam goes back to um, to Florida, and uh, back to work. Then the next week, it's business as usual, except for we find out he and Denasha are expecting. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So that- pretty cool. He calls me. And, well, this is the first week of October. He calls me and tells me about it, and um, it was on cloud nine. Oh, my God. I can't imagine. Yeah. I can't imagine. And you guys are celebrating from over, right, from here yeah. in Cleveland? Well, they're not married, so at first I flinched. Okay. I have to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but Fair enough. At least, you're being, at least you're being honest on that one. But then after that, yeah, we embraced it. And you heard how excited he was and, yeah. the, 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 yeah. you know, how happy that was making him feel and yeah. those kind of things. So yeah. this is the first week of October, give yeah. or take. Yeah. Um, and then what happens then? Yeah. Well, on uh, October 23rd, that morning, he uh, kissed Denasha goodbye. She went off to a church retreat. It was a beautiful, sunny Friday morning. She was uh, going away for a retreat for the weekend, and uh, Sam went into work like usual. Midday, 
he pulled aside his boss and said, um, you know, can I uh, have the afternoon off? I'm not feeling great. His boss said, sure, Sam, no problem. And, you know, who knows? At that point in his life, maybe it's everything's going great. And, and maybe at that point he looked at it as, I'm just going to go out and use that one last time. And who knows what he was thinking. But he texted an old hookup at 12.30 that afternoon. And uh, the last text back to him was uh, 6.30 that night from that same person, you, you good. They, uh, they found him the next day. Um, he, was, he was gone. He was in his uh, game room. Oh, he, was, um, he had uh, he gotten some heroin that was uh, heavily laced with fentanyl. And uh, and that was it. He was all alone. Didn't have a shot. Didn't have a shot. So no Narcon, Narcan, or anything else for him. So, oh, man. Yeah. Jeez, I'm so sorry to hear that. That's <laughs> so. Thank you. Um, wow, the fentanyl. I mean, that's that's become a major issue, major problem with this this yeah. drug, right? Because it's yeah. you don't know which laces. You know, what strands are clean versus what strands are dirty, laced with all this extra crap, we'll call it, right? So fentanyl, the the fundamental problem is it's 50 or more times the strength of heroin, first of all. So what people end up doing oftentimes is they will use the amount that they normally use, not knowing that fentanyl is in there. And they've just got so much in their system what it does when you overload the system is it simply shuts down your respiratory system. It, you know, it attacks the the brain and that area that controls your respiratory system, and you right. just, you just quit breathing. Yeah, and you shut it down. And that's it. That's it. That's You're it. gone. How it it goes fast, huh? From what you've fairly fast. Yeah, yeah. And that was it. That was it. Um, what, what? How did you guys find out? Uh, got a call. I got a call from my son, my oldest, and um, uh, he said Sam's gone, and uh, oh, gosh. You know, words words can't describe. I can't imagine. Uh, we're so sorry for you and your family's loss, and uh, oh, Greg. Like I said, uh, that's this is this is you know one of those feelings that you can't even imagine. I am <laughs> unless you go through it. It's it's devastating. Um, and I know that that really has really been the, the platform that you, you've springboarded off of this whole experience, um, creating this Cover 2 resources uh, organization. Yeah. Um, uh, <clears throat> so, yeah, we were devastated when we lost Sam. And um, after a short period of – a very short period of time, really, we did a lot of soul-searching and – and really thought back to Sam and what made him Sam. And uh, one of the big things is he had this huge heart. And as he was battling this, this addiction to, to heroin and opioids, it, when it, even when it was at its worst of worsts, mm -hmm. actually, particularly then, was when he was most vocal about wanting to do something to make it so that others would not follow in his footsteps. And um, he was really serious about that. So when, you know, this happened, and when we lost Sam, um, real quickly it became something that we absolutely had to do. Part so, of your mission. You know, it's... Yeah, so it's 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 him, yeah, and it's his inspiration, and uh, you know, and so that's that's why when we decided, okay, let's let's set up a nonprofit, a five hundred one c three, that's why we named it Cover Two, because for those that are football players and you know are fans of football, right, you know, that's a popular defense. And yep. Sam was a defensive football back. fan, def uh, defensive back. Yeah, 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 that was his position. So in memory of him. We named it Cover 2. Also, uh, more profoundly, we, we named the foundation Cover 2 because as, as a family, we really felt like we had things covered. We felt like Sam had, 
had dodged a bullet and made it in long term and, and that he was just going to be on to uh, a wonderful, productive life. And um, we couldn't be further from the truth in terms of um, what it really took or, you know, it, what it really takes in terms of all the knowledge you need to know and everything about this. We were just ill-equipped to support him. We were ill-equipped in terms of our knowledge of substance use disorder, what that's all about, and um, how to support your loved one, how to support anyone you care about in terms of battling that, uh, that difficult, difficult lifelong battle. And it is, it's a lifelong battle. And that's probably the first thing that, you know, we didn't recognize right out of the gate. And you really, you have to, and, and which is, as soon as that, you recognize that, then you realize that is your new life. Your new life is the rest of your life is recognizing that just it's no different than if you have diabetes or if you have heart disease it, that is the rest of your life and yeah. we recognize that with yeah. those two other diseases but we don't with substance use disorder and that's what has to change because that's that's the reality absolutely so yeah can you shed a little bit of light onto that because um correct me if i'm wrong years ago the police and people involved Get the drug users off the streets, right? Get them off the streets, lock them up. That's mm -hmm. what, you know. Now, I think your organization is, has been big with this and, and, and creating more awareness and, you know, working with these first responders, we'll call them, I don't know what you call them, but these units that go in, it's not just let's lock up this guy and throw him into a jail cell because that's not going to fix the problem. That's not going to fix the epidemic. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Um, so... One of the first initiatives, I'll, I'll kind of back up just a little bit. One of our first initiatives has been setting up this podcast series that is about um, people, places, and things making a difference in the opioid epidemic. Mm -hmm. um, and if you know someone in recovery, you know that what recovery is all about is changing the people, places, and things that you go around. Right. You have to go around. You have to check those, the old ones, and go around and completely have brand new people, places, and things. So that's why we named the series that anyhow. Um, as we move forward, what happened was we found a lot of people doing some really productive and great things to address the opioid epidemic. And the first one, though, was um, from an article in the USA Today in August of 2016. What we noticed was this was when carfentanil hit really, really big in the Cincinnati area. Mm -hmm. And they had a tremendous number of overdoses within a 24-hour period. I mean, they were just overwhelmed. Wow. And, um, and then in that article, though, it talked about this suburb of Cincinnati that had a unique approach to addressing overdoses in their community. Uh -huh. In Colerain, Ohio, what they did was they had these quick response teams. Mm -hmm. And the quick response teams were three-person units comprised of a policeman, firefighter, and social services. Once a week, they go out into the community and they knock on doors of all of the people that have overdosed in that last week. And they say, hey, we're here to help. We wow, want to help. Really? You. Yeah, wow. we want to get you into treatment. Wow. And so I, I was blown away by that. So Dan Malloy's the gentleman who created the program. He and his peers down there, they, they put it together, and it was very successful for them. In fact, of the people that they talked to, they got 80% of them into treatment. 80%. No kidding. Yeah. So the, they would knock the door, mm -hmm. person would come to the door, hey, we're here to just take an assessment, and it sounds like a vast majority of the time the, they were the, they were being honest and forthcoming. Yeah, I, I used or right, right, and well, I mean, there's <clears throat> at this point there's no honest. The cards are on the table because they've OD'd. They've just about died. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, so you know that's known. That's out there, and and there's no it BS speaks for about itself. It. Right, right. You gotcha. almost died here. We want to help you. Here's all of the information on this. Let us help you. Ah, uh, I see. And because they have a recovery coach there mm -hmm. with them then they're kind of they're the ones that are the magic about coaching them into getting them help and getting them into treatment and so in most cases it's not immediate in most cases it takes a day or two but 
ultimately they got 80% of the people. That's a huge number. Yeah. That's a crazy number. It is. And so um, I was taken by the program. So what we did was we asked, invited Dan and his team to come up here to Northeast Ohio Mm -hmm. and give us a workshop. And we gathered together as many communities as we could in December of, this was December of 2016. We got 15 communities there uh, for half a day. Dan and his team walked them through everything that it takes to launch one of these. And today we've got 10 of these in Summit County. Summit County has over 85% of their population covered with quick response teams. Wow. So I'm pretty excited wow, about that. that's amazing. Yeah. That's yeah. amazing. And you guys are still, this is still in process, right? I assume you're continuing to, to take this model or this, this approach and want to get to different counties throughout the state, I would imagine. That'll be the next step. We okay. really, um, other than a few meetings in Cuyahoga County mm-hmm. and a, well, a few meetings in Portage County as well, um, so it's beginning to take off in both of those counties. But yeah, what are some of the other things that your uh, organization, your mission, um, that you guys are doing to you know fight this epidemic? So the other program that we found was also in the Cincinnati area, mm-hmm. and it's called Drug Free Clubs of America, and this is a prevention club, and it's based upon you know putting doing this in the schools. In fact, you start it in the high school. And it's a voluntary program where the kids, the high school students decide, okay, I want to join up for this program. I'm going to agree to random drug testing. They give them up to five random drug tests in the year. To get into the program, they take the first drug test. Once they pass, they're issued a card that they're a member of this Drug Free Clubs of America. They present that card out in the community to the other businesses. Other partners that are in this program? Other partners that say, yeah, I yeah. like that. We're going to give you a discount. We're going to give them, you know, a free sandwich uh, to, and yeah. what have you. Interesting. We're going to recognize That's an that. Awesome Maybe idea. a free oil change. You name That's it. That's a beautiful idea. Yeah. yeah. So the city, the community has an opportunity. Business owners have an opportunity to support it. Oh, yeah. In the school, the kids become the ambassadors, and they're the ones that determine what the benefits are going to be. So we did um, a workshop for that. Uh, we did that one year ago, and just about exactly, we got 10 schools that participated, and sure enough, three schools launched this past fall. Congratulations. Thank you. I'm sure that was a big moment for you and your family. It was, because one of those schools in particular was Sam's High School. Uh, where did he go to high school? Hudson. Hudson, yeah. yeah. That's and you, amazing. And you know what? It's their biggest club. Of course, right? Yeah, that's, that's their biggest club that's, now. That's amazing. That's oh, really something. I was, I was blown away by that. These kids are such leaders there. They were ju- they're just they took to the program and they're really going to make it a big success. Oh, that's beautiful. That's yeah. beautiful. You guys obviously are using the pain and and the 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 horrific experience that you had to go through as a family and and you're turning it into something good because this is such an epidemic and it sounds like if you could reach one person or one family, you know, that's one more family that might be saved or that might do something different. Do you guys have programs for, I know you're talking about for the students, the kids, the people that might be you know, susceptible to becoming a user. Do you guys have any types of programs or criteria for the family members on how to deal with this or what to look for or those kind of things? Yeah, we've done podcasts. Um, sure. And, and uh, there is uh, one uh, consultant here in the area that has done some great work in terms of, you know, if you go online, you can find things for, for uh, you know, individuals for recovery, recovery coaches and what have you. But the, there's very few resources that you can put your, you know, reach out and grab for the family. Sure, exactly. And so, but right here in the area, Northeast Ohio, we've got an exceptional resource that we did a podcast with. Her name is Robin Starr, and she does a lot of consulting with just families. So if you have a, uh, you know, a loved one who's struggling with this and you just don't know how to deal Exactly. Great yeah. coaching there. Interesting. Um, also, the Lakata Way, they've done some exceptional work uh, in terms of, the, the and they're out in Lorraine County. Uh-huh. Uh, their CEO is a gentleman by the name of Tom Stuber, who's just a wealth of information. He's the guy that you'll see when you know Channel 5 or Channel 3 goes out and says, okay, we've got this issue that's coming up, bubbling up, as far as the opioid epidemic is concerned. Let's talk to an expert. 
Nine see. times out of ten. That's he's the guy, the guy. who's on. Yeah. He's the guy. Yeah. Tom's unbelievable. That's great. But he wraps around the family and has a program that's both uh, integrates both the individual who's struggling with substance use disorder as well as their families. Talk a little bit about your podcast, if you would. I know you mentioned it. You have this phenomenal podcast. Tell us when you launched, and if you want to talk about some episodes that, that people should really go consider listening to. So we launched in 2016, June of 2016, and um, the whole concept is to try to, you know, day in and day out, we hear about the opioid epidemic through the media, and mostly we're hearing about just the, the tragic loss and its impact on society, on business, and on families. But we rarely hear about the great things that are happening out there in pockets uh, throughout our country and elsewhere. Um, so it's our mission to try and identify a lot of those things and, and shine a spotlight on them. So I mentioned uh, Dan Malloy and his team down in Coleraine and the quick response teams. Um, but there's many others such as, um, gosh, there are uh, – <laughs> Well, you've got a whole uh, list of podcasts. Uh, I, I, I do. I've, I've yeah. got my first 100 yeah. of me, but I'm trying to – think of those my my favorites out of those and it's I'm hard pressed I'll have to just go back to usually it's it's the uh, the most recent are the ones that I really just warm up to and get excited about for example two weeks ago I was up in Buffalo Buffalo New York and to visit there they've got a one-of-a-kind uh, court in uh, there's no court like this in the country except for in Buffalo mm -hmm. it's called opioid court Wow. And so you've probably heard about drug court, and you know what drug court is. Drug court is where, you know, somebody gets charged with something, then they use that as, in essence, leverage, uh -huh. okay, to get them into this uh, court-supervised uh, treatment program. Okay. And those are working and working really, really well. And we visited a couple of them. In Cuyahoga County, we visited Judge Matias. And uh, down in Akron, we visited um, Judge Teodosio's drug courts. And, and these are great programs. They're really helping. One issue that we that we realized about most drug courts is that when somebody gets arrested, they get you know, thrown in jail, and then they usually get released either on their own recognizance or they make bail. And then there's some time that goes by before they have that opportunity to go before the judge and actually get considered and accepted into drug court. Uh, that could be days, weeks, or maybe even a month, but it takes a little while. It could be a dangerous period for them, yeah. In the meantime, what happens? Yeah. They go out and they use. So in their words, in Buffalo, they said, we're losing people. Mm -hmm. We needed to fix this. Sure. So what they did was they created this new court. So when somebody gets arrested, they take those charges and they consider them for this opioid court. And if they accept them into that, right away the charges are held in abeyance for 90 days. Okay. And in the first 24 hours after they're arrested, they go before the judge, and then they select what kind of treatment they want to get into for medicated or medication-assisted treatment. Uh -huh. And they choose between Vivitrol, Suboxone, or Methadone. And right there, right that day, they're given that. And for the next 30 days, they go before the judge every day. Really? And they get wow. treatment every day. Yeah. And so this program. This is currently happening in these courts. This one, this court, one court in the United States, wow. which is in Buffalo. Wow. And so this court has figured out a way to front end the drug courts mm -hmm. because what happens is after they go through that, the 90 days, the mm -hmm. first 90 days, then they transition over into drug court. Sure. And so they've figured out a very effective way to um, reduce the risk. They've had 200 people. They've had this up and rolling for nine months. They've had 200 people through this in that nine months. Um, they've lost one person. That's it? One person. That's yeah. a half of a 1%? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, so it's, it, it's wow. saving lives is what it is, and it's giving people a chance. I spoke before these people. I was going to say, so you were there to speak? Yeah, yeah, and, and, and that was that was uh, a, a really emotional day. I I, I shared um, our story, and um, I shared um, I, I tried to share a little bit of encouragement for them, and and it was uh, these these people were 
excited. They were excited to be there, excited to get help. Sure. And sure. so um, I'm I'm thrilled to share that. But you know that's that's one of of many many stories. Yeah. And, and your podcast is obviously things. centered around this whole epidemic, correct? I mean, yeah. That's that's all it is. It's strictly around this epidemic. Yep. You're meeting with people that have lost loved ones. Yes. You're meeting with people that you know are involved in the maybe in the business from a medical standpoint. I mean, you have all everyone that touches this thing um, comes on. You know, is 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 welcome to your show. I assume different episodes. Yep, I've spoken to doctors about it, lawyers, uh, family members, regulatory um, people, or regulatory people. Sure. As well, yeah. Yeah, that's just uh, today's episode was with the DEA and the DEA. Really? Yeah, DEA 360 is uh, the name of the program and. Uh, it's a whole program that they've uh, rolled out in uh, several markets over the last two years, and uh, it looks like it's getting some traction. What's your ultimate goal um, as you continue to expand the mission in, in your son's memory and your son's honor? Um, what, what do you want to continue to do with this organization? Do you have any new bigger plans? Um, do you want to bring the, the, the opioid courts here into Ohio? What, what are some of the things that you want to be working on here? Well, what we want to continue to do for the foreseeable future here is we want to continue to research and find some of the best practices and best programs in our country that are making a difference in the opioid epidemic. And we want to bring those back here to Northeast Ohio and plant seeds and have the leaders here in Northeast Ohio run with them. And really, we've been very, very fortunate because we have great leadership in Summit County, great leadership in, in Cuyahoga County. and. Um, you know, the, the people that we've had an opportunity to work with have embraced some of these programs and just run with them. Sure. Uh, you know, these are things that we have been real, real fortunate in that we've just had the great innovators that we've found, and we've kind of been a conduit and introduced them to people like Jerry Craig at the Summit County ADM and uh and and others that embrace these programs to make a difference that's beautiful that's beautiful um wow i, I like i said thank you so much for being here first and foremost um i know this was we, we kind of wrapped this quickly together and uh we, did. we set this up rather quickly um i'm very honored that you would come and share your story uh here today i think it's powerful i think it's uh, it's obviously affecting families across this country um, at a higher clip than it ever has. I've seen like, you know, 70,000 deaths as of recently, I think last year. Um, and uh, I think what you're doing, obviously turning a completely horrific situation into something that may have some positive impact on other people, other families for the future. Um, can't imagine what your family has gone through. And, uh, you know, it takes a strong, strong foundation. So, you know, obviously it's... Well, Nathan, thank you so much for giving us the platform to, to kind of share our story and share it with your listeners. Um, you're a month into the program, but I got to tell you, it looks like you're years into the program. You've got a great setup <laughs> thank here. You. Thank you very much. Nice sound system. Fantastic. And thank you. that's a key. Thank you. Uh, right thank here you. in the comfort of your basement. Exactly. Your home. It's very comfortable. Yeah. It's very comfortable. Yeah. And uh, you're, you are the uh, 10th guest. So uh, we're just getting started. Um, but got, gotten a lot of positive feedback from this show already and people texting and calling and sending messages and, hey, when's the next one coming out? When's the next one? So I think we'll touch some new people that you probably haven't touched, uh, you know, so far. How do they subscribe? Um, they subscribe via iTunes mm -hmm. or um, Apple Podcasts, Google mm -hmm. Play, yep. you know, Stitcher. all these Stitcher, all yep. these different places. Yep. If you have an Android, you know, all mm -hmm. these different places. Yep. You're using SoundCloud? Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. SoundCloud. I, yeah. I think we're we're set up practically everywhere. We're, we're set up almost everywhere. Awesome. Um, so uh, do you, you know, do it all? Do it all. This is it. This is it, man. One man show here. So no this producer, no. No. Nope. Good for nope. you. We not, Good barely you. have to edit anything. Yeah. We're doing it all here yeah. as a one man. Do show. Do some editing on me, not you. <laughs> no, do some no. editing. Uh, you've been fantastic. Can you talk a little bit before we finish up? Uh, please let us know how to find you on your podcast and uh, your website and all that stuff. So. Just whatever medium you're used to, ordering your podcast, Stitcher, you know, Google Play, you, you name it. Same you know. type of thing. Yeah. Same type of thing. Um, go to cover2.org. Cover, that's the number two, dot org. And um, that's our website. All the podcasts are also available there and all kinds of information, downloads. And um, one thing that I might add is 
for these podcasts that vary, you know, we've got 163 of them out there now. Uh, we try to always include all of the information on the people that we interview, including their contact information. So it's there. If you want to talk to somebody, follow up with them, please do. And if you can't get a hold of them or can't find it, just let me know. We'll get it to you because a big part of this is networking people. Exactly. Networking people so that all we're doing is planting a few seeds of these programs that are working and working well, and we want to see them grow like crazy. I'll mention one other program, and that is um, this is controversial, very controversial. It's a fentanyl test strips. So harm reduction, you know what harm reduction is, right? Harm reduction? Harm reduction. So here's, here's just a, a quick briefer on that. Mm-hmm. So we mentioned earlier that when somebody gets addicted to mm-hmm. opioids, their brain is, in essence, it's been hijacked. And they're going to use no matter what. Right. Until they're ready. Mm-hmm. Not until the family is ready, the friends, yeah. they go, until they're well, ready. Like you said, everyone else is secondary. Right? Yeah. Yeah, At exactly. That point. Yeah. And so in the meantime, what the concept of harm reduction is to do everything that you can to keep them safe so mm-hmm. that they don't get disease, so that they don't kill themselves. Uh-huh. And so that's what syringe exchanges are all about. Mm-hmm. Also something that's very controversial. These fentanyl test strips... Now, you know, first of all, uh, over the course of the last two years, fentanyl has killed a lot of people. Oh, yeah. uh, Because the stuff has been laced with that in many cases, like it was for Sam. What we found was these test strips that enable people to test their stuff before they use it Mm -hmm. and determine whether it contains fentanyl. Yeah, and and you're saying it's controversial because the ones that are against it are saying you're promoting the use of the drug exactly and on the reverse side of that coin is well they're going to use it anyways let's save a life potentially yeah they cost a buck and so it's a buck to get another day one more day to get another shot another shot maybe save their life so that's something that they now use on the Cuyahoga uh, county needle exchange at the free clinic it makes sense it makes a lot of sense Hey, man, uh, thank you again. Uh, Really, really appreciate you being here, and uh, we'll stay in touch. Awesome. Okay, thanks. thanks.